Hello everyone, welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I'm JR. And I'm Molly. And we are a married couple of, I always get this wrong, 14 years going on 15. In um, a week and a half. Oh wow, yeah, you're right. We're going to be camping when we on our anniversary. That'll be fun. Yeah. We should get a babysitter and go on a, an anniversary date and leave the babysitter in charge of six kids at the campsite. Double dating with my brother. Who is also having an anniversary That's around right. that same time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we could do that. We could find one. I bet Kim could find one for us. Yeah, Kim could find a babysitter for us at the campsite. Um, right. So if this is your first time joining us, thanks for being here. We have four children, ages 12 through 5. We don't know where the show is going to go. Um, we These are all unscripted shows, kind of a married couple living out life and discussing interesting things. Um related to our lives and other things. So if you're curious about what we talk about, scroll down the show notes. I've got a time-stamped map of the show that has uh, topical by time, so you kind of know where we're headed. And the, the title of this episode usually has a little bit of something to say about it. Anyway, yeah, so um, we were talking about... Um, before we started recording... recording. We were talking about uh, the uh, implants and whether or not they're healthy or not. Implants as in breast implants. Yeah. And uh, what else were we talking about? We are talking about modesty. And um, well, because we were talking about... I'm really big on moving your lymphatic system. So you... There's... If you look up... If you guys don't know what I'm talking about. If you look up on YouTube, like a lymph, lymph drainage movements, there's people who give you ways to manually stimulate your lymph lymphatic system with certain points in your neck and your collarbones and your armpits and your armpit lymph system drains across your chest and so this has been pretty well known for quite a while that women who wear underwire bras are more statistically more likely to get breast cancer than women who do not wear underwire bras but there's also a whole thing that if you don't wear a bra at all your lymph system is more free to do healthy movement and flush the garbage out of your system that your lymphatic system is designed to do across your chest and then to the drainage nodes in your tummy and up in your collarbones. So there are a lot of people who are opting out of wearing bras for the sake of their lymph system. And there are a lot of people who are opting, a lot more people, I'm sure, who are opting out of wearing bras for other reasons. Yeah. Um, how? I mean, that's fine. I don't, obviously, I don't have any skin in the game, pun intended. Um, <laughs> I'm sure maybe there's some similar studies about men's boxers versus. Oh, here's the study. Here's oh, the study. Do you have one? Yes. <laughs> Actually, men who wear natural fiber underwear, so like you primarily wear smart, smart wool. wool, which is made out of merino wool. Men who wear underwear, which is the majority of men wear synthetics, like a polyester mix, uh, underwear, have decreased fertility. Like their sperm count is dramatically lower than men who wear underwear with natural fibers. You re- really? Yes, this is a proven this is a proven study, and so one of the things that they're the people that I follow are saying is if, especially if you're concerned about male fertility, which if you follow, if you guys follow male fertility st- statistics, 
across the globe, but especially in the West, I can't remember this statistic off the top of my head, but it's shocking how many fewer sperm the average man has today than like in the 1950s, like by a factor of reduced by a factor of like 50 times or something. Um, And if the trend continues, the average of male fertility by like 2050 will be close to zero. And so, and a lot of this is due to um, estrogenic chemicals that are in almost everything. They're in, like I'm wearing a pair of Lululemon leggings right now. They're in the coating that they put on these leggings to make them super soft. They're in almost any cosmetic product that you use that's not synthetic, that's not synthetic, uh, scented free, uh, anything, any house cleaning thing. And it's not that every one thing, it, you know, one thing is going to affect, but they call it the toxic load so that, or the toxic burden. So your, your laundry detergent and your house cleaning stuff in your lotion and this, the coating, the fiber coatings on your workout clothes and, you know, the polyester underwear that you're wearing. And remember that, that email or that Instagram that I sent you the other day, that the soybean oil that they're cooking your French fries in at any fast food restaurant. And I'm not saying don't go to fast food restaurants because I absolutely love McDonald's French fries. And I've gotten to where a McDonald's hamburger is not super appealing to me, but I do love me some McDonald's. But French you're kind fries. of you're kind of talking about, um, or as uh, uh, our uh, friend, well, he's not really a friend. The podcast we like to listen to, uh, he he likes to stack the model the, health show. Model health show. You stack the deck in your favor, right? You're kind of saying just decrease some of these. Because at some point, like, you can go too far in the whole... Like, I think you can go too far in the you, whole natural living. You where it just absolutely can. And there's silly. actually a term for it. It's called orthorexia. You know, like anorexia? Orthorexia. Ortho, ortho being the Greek for correct or right. Orthorexia is an unhealthy obsession with eating correctly. And it can become debilitating for people. And so, yes. it with you, But you want to be aware that there is a toxic load. And every everything, almost everything in your world, uh, is contributing to that. Unless you're consciously opting out of it. I mean, to the point where, you know, I mean, so hormonal birth control that women are taking, they pee out a lot of the hor- hormones. And as far as I am able to tell, water filtration systems for cities do not filter out synthetic hormones that women are expelling from taking hormonal birth control, which means that when we turn around and drink it, we are all drinking huge amounts. I mean, to the point where there are streams downriver of big cities where all of the fish are female because the female hormones wash over the eggs while they're developing and and every fish that is hatches from the eggs in these whole rivers are all female fish. I I don't know how there are more eggs. I haven't thought that one through very far. But if you Google this, you will find that there are places where like most of the fish in the in that particular body of water are female because of how unnatural things, particularly pharmaceuticals, are affecting the water supply there. Fascinating. So anyway, um where <clears throat> 
How much do your smart wool underwear cost? Uh, They're expensive. I don't remember. I think it was in the, to the tune of like 30 to 35 a pair. Yeah. So a smart yeah. wool... They're not bra- cheap. A smart wool bra, which I have not successfully found one that I like because they always fit too tightly. Uh, so I need to be not cheap. I'm, but I'm buying off places like Sierra Trading Post and Backcountry.com that are discount places and I'm not trying them on. But if you go into somewhere like REI, it's going to run you 75 to $90 for a single bra. That's some markup. It well, and then the discounted ones that I buy and they are too small, and so I'm passing them on to a daughter, who will soon be wearing them. Um, I'm paying like forty to fifty per bra, which is still a lot of money, but if you're paying to have non-synthetic fibers not disrupting your hormonal system, it may be worth it. Here's I don't know. Uh, here, well, here's something that a guy can think about if he doesn't like the idea of. Um, you know, the cost of a pair of smart wool underwear. And I didn't learn cotton. this. Organic cotton. And then organic that. cotton. or But I also didn't learn about this until I started hunting. That most of the Alaskan guides and hunters that are up there season long and do this for a living, almost all of them exclusively wear smart wool. Either uh, definitely smart wool undergarments, but also smart wool outerwear. Because what, it it, it, what it does is it actually doesn't, smell it doesn't absorb and transmit that scent like other mm-hmm. things so when you're out stocking something and the greatest scent the greatest uh, uh tool that your prey has is their nose you want to you want to mask yourself as much as possible so there are big guys out there they'll go two one two three weeks in the same pair in of the underwear. same pair of long underwear and not and not need to wash them because they don't smell even though they're hiking and sweating. Yeah, even though they're hiking and sweating. Wait, is this the same pair the natural... of long underwear or the same pair of underwear? Well, <laughs> you don't. Well, at least okay, this guy. Don't Most wear, guys don't you wear, wear underwear, underwear and long, underwear. Your long like, underwear. No, like that's the point. Like the point of long underwear is same concept, but it goes all the way down to my ankles. Hmm. <clears throat> um, now, if I do have some zip off, uh, they're not really. They're not technically long underwear. They're like. A, uh, a base layer thermal undergarment layer thing that'll actually zip off. Mm-hmm. So I wear underwear out of that. But so all this to say is when you're spending $70 on two pairs of underwear, that two pair will get you the entire week. You don't like, like when you buy that package of six, you know, it's like, well, it's a week's worth of underwear. And so, and then you get lazy and don't wash your clothes. But you change your underwear every day because it smells, it feels bad, it's gross, you don't want to wear it. You know, that doesn't happen with smart wool. It just, it doesn't. Or merino wool, I You guess. guys, I wish that smart we now a had a merino discount code that we could share with you <laughs> uh, because this sounds like it's been an ad for the last 10 minutes, but we don't. Yeah, sorry. Um, we just are learning and switching out our wardrobe little by little. I actually, this may be TMI. But not TMI on my behalf, but I'm venturing into the, okay, I need to start thinking about purchasing bras for daughters, which is a weird territory. Those of you guys who have gone through this before maybe understand this, but it's a very interesting transition to be entering in with girls and wanting to have organic undergarments for, you know, girls whose hormones are, you know in massive flux and wanting to not impact those as much as possible 
Um, so I, this website, I know I've referenced this girl before, Body Talk Basics. Her Instagram uh, is just a wealth of great information. But I actually messaged her and asked if she had received recommendations for people for good undergarments or starter bras, bralettes. Uh, and she sent back a couple of links. And one of them, now I can't remember what the what the link that I checked out first. And it was it was pretty steep. But there were a handful of moms who had said that they'd found a brand. And I will actually have JR link this in our Amazon store. They'd found a brand of organic cotton bralettes that were like three for $30 on Amazon. And I thought that seemed like a good enough price that, that that's what I, I spend for for us in our All the single dudes listening to us right now are like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It's been you guys, it's, minutes, it's really weird. It's really weird having kids start growing up. Titus is now... I mean, if you guys have been listening to us for three years now... I mean, we've gone from having a squeaky nine-year-old boy to a 12-and-a-half-year-old who not only is taller than I am and 10 pounds heavier than I am and wears a shoe size that's a, one size smaller than his dad's, which he wears a size 10 men's now. Titus does, not JR. And he is also <clears throat> really strong and capable. So... We just spent the afternoon at a lake because it was going to be over 100 today. So we went out with paddle boards and he single-handedly loaded all the paddle boards, inflated all of the inner tubes, loaded the cooler bag, loaded all the towels. And I just did the food and got in the car to drive, basically. it It's so strange in some ways to have kids going from not being kids to you know, like this, these transitions that you have to start thinking about. But also, it's very cool to have the extra help and the fun. And I bumped into a judo mom at the lake, and I was visiting with her, and she, her parents had taken their two oldest, who were like 13 and 12, on a two-week trip that included almost a week of road trip. And she said her parents just had the most fun with this 12 and 13 year old because they're not work, you know, like you don't have to put them to bed and you don't have to worry about the food, you know, like, well, you have to worry about food. They got it. They got Well, you have to keep them fed, but you don't have to have a car full of snacks because you're going to have a meltdown if they get hungry and you don't have to, you know, or they're able to communicate and think ahead, you know, all these things that little kids, you, you have all of these challenges or, you know, you're staying in a hotel room with them and they have trouble falling asleep or just all these things that you know they just are fun interesting enjoyable travel companions by the time they get to that age so even though some of it is is weird to have to think through and process with them it's also really fun age to be getting to yeah it is pretty cool it'll be helpful when he's packing the van i mean really i got most of the van ready to go for the camping trip but i'm not going to be here when molly departs because i'll be coming back i'll be um, wrapping up a tour that I'm headed out on tomorrow. Um, and so Titus will be there. He's going to load the bikes and yeah, he'll do, he'll, help, he'll, he'll organize. Do almost all of the I said, Hey, I can count on you to like organize the hallway and kind of clean up stuff so we can, he's like, yeah, no problem. Oh, that like, he loves organizing, yeah. which is great. He's an organizing junkie. Okay, In fact, so- we were working on, we've got a big garage organization project that, um, is yet to kind of start, but we're working on it. And he asked me, he goes, dad, can I, can I help you with this project? So of course. 
he, um, I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, we, we told people we were going to talk about pickleball this week. Oh, yeah. Pickleball. Yeah. So <clears throat> we, so the, the gist of it is, I mean, there's not a ton to talk about, but the gist of it is over when Amazon was doing their prime days, I deliberately tuned out all of the just constant, I mean, all of these influencers that I follow, they're giving you Amazon links of deals that they're finding that they like or that they're looking at, but they're well, also... Because then it gives them a kickback. Exactly. Exactly. And so I just was like... We've got Amazon referral links, but it's like, I don't know, a couple of 10 cents here. 10 yeah, cents but there. we're, I mean, they're, they're pretty aggressive about it anyway. And then on Prime Day, every time they can push something to you. So they're sharing a lot of links, but they're also sharing genuinely good deals. But knowing that this was even before the disgust with our excess of stuff surrounding the garage sale. Last episode, you guys. But just knowing that I did not need to purchase anything, I deliberately tuned out all of the Prime deals, except I had said to myself, I'm going to check every day, and if there's a good deal on a pickleball set, I'm going to spring for a pickleball set. And there was. Okay, so before we continue with that story, what... How did pickleball end up on your radar? Because I had only heard of it in passing and disregarded everything about it. Because it just—I was like, "This sounds dumb." It's called pick. I don't like pickles, so why would I like pickleball? I. Um. So what happened? Well, I don't actually know. I've never how asked you this. Pickleball got either. on my radar, but Elisa's friend uh, invited her to. He he did two sessions of a month or so of tennis. And he invited her to bring a friend day on the very last day of tennis. And I played tennis competitively in high school for three years. And I still have my high school rackets, which I'm sure are wildly out of date. But I was like, you know, just to give Elise the feeling of having a racket in her hand before she goes out onto this court and feels like a fool. I'm going to pull my old rackets down from the garage. I actually had to go to Walmart and buy balls because we go through tennis balls because our dog destroys them but I wanted good bouncy ones and so I had her whacking and then the handles I mean I graduated from high school in 1998 so that's the last time that I really used these tennis handles and the plastic had gotten kind of like stick like sticky and gross and the rubber black rubber was wearing off in your hands so I went to Walmart and I got some new tape to do on them anyway uh, the kids all spent several, I mean, they fought over the two rackets with who could whack the ball against the garage door. And then we took to whacking the ball out in the yard for the dog to chase. And I was like, you know, it feels like a skill that, so one of the big weaknesses as a homeschool mom, I, we talked about running last week, right? We did. One yeah. of the big weaknesses in homeschooling is it's hard to expose your kids to things that a public school experience would expose them to so for example you know we're running now as a family because they would be running in pe regularly and they're not uh in high school pe at least there is a unit of learning how to play tennis at least at the high school that i went to we spent two weeks and they had you know a stack of cheap rackets and we would go out to the tennis courts in the park behind the school and we learned the basic rules, and we learned how to, ba- you know, basically hold a racket, and we'd spent two weeks whacking the balls back and forth. And I just felt like having some sort of racket, or paddle in this case, oriented sport, and developing that hand-eye coordination 
that then becomes useful for if you want to casually pick up softball, you know, if you're on a church league or, you know, any of that, if you want to go play ping pong when you're in the Dominican Republic and you're bored, I tried to get Titus to do that and just total flopped because he had so much trouble hitting the ball because it's never, it's not a skill that we've developed at all. And so, um, and we have a really big driveway. I was, I thought, you know, I'm for, for the amount of money. And I don't know, I guess I just kind of fixated on wanting my kids to play pickleball. I don't know where pickleball came from. Like it just, it's where, where it came from. Like, did you see it somewhere? Did you think that'd be a good idea? I, I mean, know. obviously it's you've like seen a it. Thing. It's a thing. I don't oh. know. <clears throat> I don't know how you learned about it or knew what it was about. I don't know. It's been around be. for a long time. So, all right, continue the story. So you bought the. So anyway, um, you, you for bought like this a little over for like a hundred and ten dollars total, I got a net, four paddles, and a couple of balls, and we have been playing pickleball. And then I had to go buy two more paddles. So we don't re- we don't play according to the rules at all. But we spray painted a a court on our driveway that's the right size and eventually we'll play according to the rules because we're learning that but right now we're just working on actually hitting the ball and our most successful times as a family where people don't feel left out we put three people on each side and usually a parent who can actually keep a volley going and um we i am delightfully surprised it was a little bit of a gamble because it could have been a total flop, and it could have been one more thing in our garage. But so far, we it's it was not. it was kind of funny because um, when when uh, Titus was really excited, he came and was like, "Dad, Mom spray painted the court on the driveway," <laughs> and I'm like, "Well, I hope she used marking paint because like that'll at least wash off like permanent spray paint would be about." He's like, "I don't know, she just used some paint, spray paint." I'm like, "Oh no!" So I go out there and look, and it's permanent spray paint. And, um, meanwhile, meanwhile, Elise comes bouncing into me <laughs> who's inside and she's like, Oh, dad is so mad at Which Titus. I was not. Cause Titus <laughs> spray painted permanent paint on the driveway. And oh, I was classic, like, um, Titus did not do that. I did. So if your dad's mad at anybody, he should be mad so, at me. Classic Elise. Um, and then I got, and then, um, just classic younger sibling who right. kind of delights in seeing an older sibling. And I don't trouble. remember the sequence of events after that, but what struck me is I pondered and I said, well, I said, if we're going to paint the, like, we'll paint it. And I got, well, I think what I got to thinking was, cause I'd rather just have gray concrete. And I thought to myself, well, that's really boring. And then somebody said something, I think one of the kids said something about a fully painted court. And I thought. Well, that would be much more interesting than a gray driveway. <laughs> so I was like, now we got it. Now we got to paint it. Yeah, so we roll probably it. will eventually roll, roll it with with some gallons. You know what gallons. we could do? The box stores like Lowe's and Home Depot, mm-hmm. they will take back paint that they've mixed for people, and sell it for cheap. Yeah, and then they sell it for which super works cheap. unless if you don't get enough, and if you sell no, it's don't a get full enough, gallon. You can't. I know, but if you don't have if that full oh, gallon, not enough, it. then you can't. That's true. I can't imagine that a full gallon wouldn't be enough. I don't know. I really like the, to, I really like the idea of like the light blue and orange. We'd have to we... calculate the square footage of the driveway yeah. to figure out if one gallon of paint would do enough for it. For anyway. Yeah, and then it's gonna get crazy. Then we're gonna do like a special surface, and then it's gonna get really weird. So here's the fun thing: we haven't really done this too much yet, except we have cousins vid- visiting this week, and we're also in a streak of high hundred mid high 90s low hundreds for several days so nobody's doing anything outside but when the days were cooler 
that was one of the th- they had all six paddles out and they were playing pickleball with cousins and it seems like something that is so accessible and even like on our telegram channel we were talking about pickleball and I think it's Eric who was like oh yeah we just painted several courts in the back of our church parking lot for the youth group uh and anybody else who wants to do it but it's primarily for the youth and it's something that it's so accessible you don't have to be really good like at tennis you it it's a decently expensive racket and it takes up a lot of space and a special court surface and then it takes skill to actually be able to aim and do a good job where pickleball you wander out there and you whack the ball around and everybody thinks it's hilarious if if you're terrible and it's not too hard to get decent and so our hope is when it cools off and everybody's schedules are a little bit less crazy to have other families over and just sit in lawn chairs on the driveway while people play pickleball. And I have a friend whose husband is a church planter in the Portland area, and they actually, there's a single gal in their church who is a member of a pickleball league at a park, and so they get access to all of this league's equipment. And so they have, in the summer, I think weekly pickleball get-togethers. And it's this great mixer because... Older people like to do it because it doesn't require all this extra work. Like, it's not a super athletic endeavor. It doesn't require a lot of lateral movement or running around. Now, for those of you uh, who don't know, and I'm kind of guessing most people know some of the basics of pickleball, but the reason it is so relaxed is because of a couple of the rules. And And also, it's also relaxed because the court is smaller. Right. So two of the rules... The primary ones are you cannot hit the ball above the waist. Your paddle has to be below your waist when it contacts the ball. So obviously you're doing kind of these underhanded So you can't things. stand at the net and slam it. Right. On top of that, the paddle, you, most of you guys, imagine a big ping pong paddle. It's basically the way to call it. A big ping pong paddle. Well, the head of that paddle is larger than the handle. The top edge of that handle can't pass can't be higher than your than the top bone of your wrist so you have this uh, you have to hold the paddle intentionally downward Down. and you have to hit it on an upward stroke, and you have to hit right? it on upward stroke stroke below your waist so like the ball will be coming at you and it'll and you'll be like oh i'm gonna back up a little bit because i can't hit it right here it's gonna take a bounce and i gotta wait for it to blow my waist and it gives you a few seconds to like watch it bounce come at you pop and pop it back you know and you and so can't there's, and you can't slam it no you, you can't literally there's no slam it there's the no overhead uh there's no overhead you know slamming Anything. and there's that that some people call it the kitchen it's technically referred to as the no volley zone but there's a what three foot space on directly oh, no, on either it's like 10 no the no volley zone yeah it's more than three it's three, maybe five five I there's like a remember. five foot space i don't remember a five foot, it's measured on a driveway, but a five foot space directly on the other side, each side of the net. It's six because it's six feet from the net to that line. Oh, it's, yeah. Then the whole thing is 16 feet and okay. then 10 feet. Yeah. So six feet on either, directly on either side of the net where you have to let it bounce. If it, you can't stand right there and hit it back over where, the net like without letting tennis, it bounce first. If you are in a forward motion and because they've hit the ball sure and you have to run forward to get it then you just stand at the net and like right in the center ready to go from side to side and 
they try to hit it past you and then you just slam it, you volley it. And in pickleball, you literally cannot do that. So it's, yeah, it's very relaxed. It's very fun. Um, and we are, we are actually, <coughs> actually doing it. Which yeah, is it's fun. enjoyable. We can I, only do it in the evenings when it's cooled off a bunch, at least right now, because it's so hot. Yeah, I'm curious. It makes me wonder if there are other things that people have done or do where you invest in something with hopes for your family and then you don't follow through. Uh, I mean, another thing that we we actually do use is the paddleboard. Like, we were just at a lake today. And, and we bought a second we one. We have two paddleboards. And we had, I mean, at one point there were probably, there were 13 cousins at the lake. There were probably four or five cousins on each paddleboard. And between floating down the river and using them locally and going camping and taking them I feel like we actually use our paddle boards more than the average person in Montana. Like, they're, co- they're sold at Costco. People buy them because they're 200 bucks at Costco, and then they don't use them. And you see them get dumped on Facebook Marketplace a lot, but they're you have no idea their condition. I wouldn't buy one secondhand because no. I'd be worried about condition of it. But you see them a lot because people buy them, and then they're like, I just don't use this like I thought I would. So with both the paddle boards and the pickleball... I'm pleasantly surprised that we are using them like we had hoped that we would, but there's no guarantee. Right. And I think the the failed garage sale is evidence that we've invested in a lot of other things that uh, we have not used as much as we thought they would. We would, but uh, a ukulele, for example, I bought the kids a ukulele thinking they'd play it a lot and they use it more as a toy rather than actually. It looks like a toy. It does look like a toy, but I actually, I, actually I had purchased one from Amazon that came with online tutorial lessons and they had absolutely zero interest in doing anything, but just pretend using it as a pretend kid guitar. Yeah, yeah it is what it is. I, I know a lot of, I, I'm sure there's a family, you guys can tell us all sorts of stories of things that you invested in decent money, hoping that it would create a, a different family culture, or whatever. And it just didn't. Or you do, but I would be more interested in the opposite. Like the, mm. it was like the pickleball. It was like a little bit of a gamble because none of us had ever played pickleball before. I knew the kids were intrigued with my tennis, and I knew that for our family's finances and my willingness to drive kids to tennis lessons, mm-hmm. this is not in the books anytime soon. But I can buy two dollar cans of spray paint at Walmart and a hundred dollar set on Amazon. But it might be $100 that we never use. Yeah. We The volleyball net that we bought when we from the people that we bought this house from, JR just put it in the garage sale and it didn't sell and just sold it on Facebook Marketplace. And we have, the people that we bought this house from, we have enough room to have a regulation size volleyball oh, we court. We could have probably three regulation Plus, size um, we never set it up. <laughs> we even set nope. it up even we once. we never set it up once. And it's... The guy that we bought the house from was huge. Like, I think he played competitive volleyball in high school. Huge volleyball player. It was very important to him to have a high-quality set. So it was like steel pipes. That... It was PVC pipes, but it had a full ground staking setup kit that was easy to take, easy to set up, and easy to tear down. And super sturdy. And super sturdy. You could you could wrench, you could get that volleyball net really, super really tight. tight. So it wasn't sagging. And it has sat in the rafters of what is now your parents' house 
for seven and a half years. Until I moved it to the storage unit because my parents built that out. Yeah. So anyway, that was a, a an example yeah. of the opposite. So I got a whopping $10 out of that. Oh, really? Um, you know, skiing. Um, yeah, I'm not going to charge. like The market for that, I think, is really small. This mm-hmm. is 2023. Volleyball is not a hip thing. Um, you know, skiing, when we Everybody's invested in skiing, pickleball. that was a big investment we made, but that was another deliberate one. And the kids, we got the kids started when they were small enough that um, we've just kind of deliberately made that a, a family, familial thing. And so I think that and really um, I've decided, you know, dedicated downhill biking is too expensive and too time consuming for the level of interest my kids have in it. They like it. But it's not something they want it's to fun. pursue. Yeah. Like, Titus is like, I am I love going out to the Zimmerman. Like, I love to do some park because it's fun, but I don't have to do the park. Um, and it's a ton of fun. He was actually so, bummed when I told him today that you weren't going to do the park. He, he knew. Oh. <clears throat> yeah, he knew. We talked about um, it. Okay, um, switching gears. What... I'm curious... I'm going to I want to talk about a book that I just finished reading, but I'm curious what you're reading in with your book on free will or what's the the problem of evil what is the premise of the book i'm curious where you're at in it and if there's anything interesting to talk about with it mm. the book is called god um god reforms hearts by thaddeus williams subtitle is rethinking the problem of evil uh context of the book is um a counter to the libertarian free will argument meaning we are free uh consciously teleologically if we want to use the word of the culture today um, we are free in our own independence to choose or to um choose to do evil or choose to do good um essentially you know choose to do things of the lord choose to do things of the world and God cannot dictate and will not dictate one way or the other which, what thing we That's the choose. common notion right now? The, well, that's... A, that's I'm not going to say common against. notion. That's what he's arguing against because it's, it's a very common... Uh, I grew up Baptist. Very common in the Baptist. Like, that's how it was understood. We're, God created us free to choose our own mm. path in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I won't dive into it's very it's the book is based on a doctoral dissertation very philosophical very theological um and kind of deep and heady so he he walks through a variety of counter arguments of the arguments and then their counter arguments um always always making an effort to go back to how does this hold up biblically with what we know about god and um Needless to say, um, at the end of the book, those who want a defined answer are not going to get one. Um, similar to the Trinity, I would liken this. We, were, we just talked about this on Wednesday. Um, uh, I would liken this to one of those mysteries that we'll never fully understand. Cause, Even um, in glory, because we're finite. We're humans. finite human beings. Um, and the reason there's a tension there, and the tension becomes... How can God be completely sovereign and in control of God, in, of, control of in, in control of everything, and still allow us control, and still not have control over us, essentially? Um, and there's wait, he doesn't fix, he doesn't answer that. 
That's what we all want. We want the answer. That's what we all want. Um, we, but we can't have that answer. And he, he spends a lot of time on Acts 4. Um, I'm actually going to read this now that we're on it. Um, I'm glad that some of this is still kind of fresh because the last chapter has been really, really good. Um, in Acts, he spends a little bit of time exegeting Acts 4.28. 4.28 is um, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So this is... Um, Kind of providentially, uh, God is talking about this. He's talking about the sovereignty of God and the sovereign Lord. And um, the believers in the context of this passage are praying in the midst of epic early first and second century Roman persecution. Uh, you know, Nero, Marcus Aurelius, and just some of these other, uh, some of the kind of epics time. And, and, and he's saying in this persecution, um, to do whatever. Uh, he's talking about the crucifixion specifically. Verse 27, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So they're drawing, this prayer is drawing a parallel between current Christian persecution and suffering and the crucifixion of Christ. And here you have Pilate, human human actors who is responsible who are responsible for, for this evil that are not operating independently god has a sovereign plan for some of this stuff and you can't you can't have a completely independent person because there's no <laughs> he goes into a I, I don't remember the exact phrasing on this because like i said it's a very philosophical argument but you need some you have to basically place yourself above yourself to be kind of a hands off I have no skin in the game choice, moral choice. I'm going to choose good or choose evil. You know, something's driving you to do that. And it's either something inside your heart or something that doesn't exist. And something that doesn't exist doesn't exist. So it's got to be something in your heart. You know, it but can't be something, something like above heart, you. No, but I mean, isn't the point though that what's driving you to do good or evil is a combination that we can't understand of something that's in your heart as well as God. As well as God. And so what one of heart? the arguments here is God is not in control of this process. God does not oversee that process. God is somewhat hands off on your but choices. But that's not an argument that Williams is making. No, he's countering some of that argument. Right. <clears throat> so um, it makes me mindful of the way that the plagues that when Aaron and Moses go to Mo mm -hmm. go to Pharaoh, he the the biblical account alternates between God hardened Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh hardened his own heart in response to each of the plagues. Right. And it's it, the point is not that this time God hardened Pharaoh's heart and this time Pharaoh hardened his own heart, but in both on every occasion, both things were true at the same time, and Pharaoh was accountable for his sin while also being an instrument in the hands of. A God who had a much bigger plan. Well, and check this out. So, uh, he also brings this up in the book that there's two, two uh, concurrent moments. In one, God is saying, "I am pleased to destroy this people. I am pleased to cause destruction and havoc in this manner." Mm -hmm. Says that in the old, you know, in in scripture. I don't have, I don't have this in front of me because I didn't know I was going to talk about it. I don't have the exact <laughs> references. It's in the book. <clears throat> and God was pleased to do this, and then later. He says it grieves God when anyone should suffer and go to hell. 
Yeah. So how do you hold those two things in tension? Mm-hmm. And you have to hold those two things in tension. You've got a mass shooting in Sandy Hook, right? Somebody chose to do epic evil. Well, just, just yesterday, I'm driving um, into town, and I'm going down one of our main drags, and there's police cars across it. And I look down, and I see lights. And so they and they blocked off a whole street, like a whole main street. A main, very main street. Two, three, four blocks of a main street. And so I loop all the way around, come out at one of the a shopping complex, and the crime scene investigation unit is there. They've got the ro- everything is roped lot off. The SWAT van is there, all the things, right? Everything's all roped off. And come to find out that a that a man had shot his wife and two kids. So, you know Was was he like at Little Caesar's Pizza? Or at like the nail salon. I'm so interested in what the, were they the just Thai in the restaurant. parking lot? I don't. I don't. I don't have any <laughs> details. Just, I don't know. I'm so curious where they. The were. sergeant of the police department that I talked to just woke up. He didn't know either. <laughs> I just really want to know where he just they said, were. He just said, "I'm really glad I'm not on SWAT anymore." Oh. So you have this a, a person who's doing this very evil act. And um, I forgot where I was going with that. Well, where you can't that God allowed. Him oh, like to Sandy do Hook. It. So God's either in control of those things, working sovereignly somehow through those things, allowing those things to happen, or he, uh, or he's not. Mm-hmm. And if he's not, like in my book, he's not God. Um, so there's this tension there of God's sovereignty and human actors. And human freedom that we have to kind of hold, yeah, and in on, balance. on the because we're not automatons, yeah. we're not drones. I, th- I think that, and and just because God allowed, I'm going to switch from Sandy Hook to I can't remember the name of the school in Nashville where it happened mm-hmm. much more recently. You know, it's a Christian school, and everyone who died was a member of this small church community. And I think that they did an excellent job of of walking that path in their public persona of, of yes, God is sovereign, and yes, God ho- could have prevented this, and God did not. God allowed this mentally troubled person to enter the school and to kill the pastor's daughter and a number of other children and beloved people who worked at the school um, and yet God also is grieving with those families. And so that is another really hard tension to to work out philosophically. Yeah. It's not such a hard tension to work out. Uh, I Please don't bug me right now. I have don't, a kid miming things through the glass door. Uh, it, it's a hard tension to work out philosophically. I don't think it's it, it, it's still a worthwhile endeavor to read these books and to think these things through for our own hearts as well as for the hearts of our kids who ask these questions. And we need to be prepared to give an answer for the reason for the hope that we have in this regard as yes. well as others. Pastorally, it is not a hard question to work out. You throw away the... You know, these things, and you just grieve alongside people. Well, and pastorally, you, and this is something that he brought up that I'd never really thought about using as context for for counseling, if you will. But this, this most recent chapter was looking at the crucifixion as a source of comfort and a source of 
hope for a suffering believer or a suffering Christian because it God did orchestrate the, the death of his son. Not just allow. Not just allow. He orchestrated it. From I mean, the beginning about, of human history. Talking about Judas, talking about Pilate, talking about the Jewish leaders, all of the people involved orchestrated And all this. of the prophecies and, from hundreds of years earlier. And yet it still grieved him to do so. So you have this this tension that also becomes a source of hope in the midst of that same God who grieved at the orchestration of what happened there is also working it out for a greater good that they can then... Um, and not just a greater and, and good. you are... Not just a greater that, good in a same, big sense, a good right. for yeah, you. He is the same... That is the same God that is allowing bad things to happen to you right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people... You know, you hear this. You hear this all the time. Well, how can a good God allow that? How can God allow that to happen? You know, good God would never allow that to happen, type of thing. Um, and I hear that argument anymore, and I just roll my eyes. Like I don't even engage. Well, the people, people, the people who are saying that too, are not genuinely asking it. It's a, no. it's an angry gotcha. Um, it's not an actual searching question. I mean, there are people who ask that, but by and large, when that question is asked, yeah, it's not, it's not being asked in a genuine way. So that's what my um, my Wednesday my Wednesday uh, study Book group is, is, is going on. on is working on, and we 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 go back and forth between um, uh, topical studies like this versus uh, you know straight Bible studies. We're actually just this last week we were talking about because of some of the discussion in Acts, we were talking about um, doing an Acts specifically Acts oh. study next time around. Cool. And, my buddy Mike and I both enjoyed our John Stott study of Romans, so we we're looking at John mm-hmm. Stott options for Acts too. Thought it'd be pretty good, but um, yeah, I mean, I'm reading a lot of other things, but that's the heavy one that mm-hmm. I'm reading right now. Cool. Well, I'm sending you a link right now to the book that I just finished, which our pastor. I don't know if he recommended it to me, but he told me what he and his wife were listening to on audiobook. And it is a book called Rules of Civility. And if you look it up on Amazon, it is not George Washington's Rules of Civility. It is Amor Towel's Rules of Civility, who is the author of A Gentleman in Moscow. And J.R. asked me after I'd been reading Apparently it, a difficult question. <laughs> I, I still, honestly, it's st- I've been thinking about it for days now. And I well, can't figure out. So, and here's, here's the context of the question. I saw the book at the cabin laying on the thing. And I was like, that looks interesting. And when I picked it up, I read, I kind of fell into the first, into the preface. Yeah. And I thought I was reading the author. You were. No. Yeah, you were. N- but, oh, you thought you were reading I was, the, the author the, describing something about the book. Describing something about the book. The, the real life You author. were actually reading the first chapter I was chapter reading a first chap- a first person mm-hmm. account of something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, the, the book is written in first person. So that's where I was like, that's interesting, but it didn't give me anything. So mm-hmm. when I asked you the question, like, well, what's the plot? Yeah. So <laughs> so I, this is the first book I've read by Amor Towels, who is a man. <clears throat> I, did, and I did Google that. Is uh, it French? I I don't know I don't know. Hmm. Um. So so what the when Jr. So I picked it up. I I think I actually also purchased it on Amazon Prime Day. So I was not entirely truthful 
that the pickleball net was the only thing I bought. But it was at some point in the month of July, shortly after our pastor had mentioned it, he said that they were listening to it on Audible and that the narrator of it was phenomenal. Well, when it was $7 on a paperback, I was like, well, this is Versus a full credit of something we don't really... Yeah. But, so I picked it up. I could see how the Audible version would be very enjoyable. But... Especially if it was read well. I... I brought it to the cabin, and it's a pretty hefty book. It's probably an inch and a half thick, and not, like, like cheap paperback, but bigger, bigger than that. And I... I wasn't super engaged for a while, but then I became super engaged and stayed up till midnight, two nights in a row reading it, and then got home the third night and finished it. So probably a 250, 300-page book that I read in three nights. And uh, and JR's like, what has you so captivated with this book? And that was the question that I couldn't answer because I was like, I, I don't know. And part of it is... The, They're like, what's the plot? What's it about? Oh, yeah, like, you asked what the plot was. <laughs> Um, and I don't want to spoil it for people because I do think it's it's an enjoyable, good read. It's if you're just gonna do a beach read sort of thing. It's it's engaging and not not dumb. It's not gonna make you dumber for reading it like some beach reads are. Uh, but it's without spoiling the plot for you because I think you should read it, Jaren. Tell me what you think. Tell me okay. what the plot is. You read it and tell me the. plot. I might actually buy it on Audible <laughs> if it's that good. Listen during your. Drive. Maybe yeah, I've got two other books I'm working through right now too. So, so, so the the author is known for his descriptions. Just everything is vivid description. You just know what a, just what a person looks like. You know their facial expressions. You know all the details of where they live. You feel like you're there, and it's coming out. It's New York City coming out of the depression, entering into the war, and so. It's that era, and you just, it's tremendous description, which is actually why J.R. thought that it was an author talking in the preface, but it's, it's a, it, the, the author in the first person is setting the stage for the story, and then the whole story is essentially a flashback explaining the reaction that she had to a photograph that she just, the, the narrator is female that she describes in the preface. And then there's an afterword where she goes back to the present day, uh, which is like 1966 or something. Um, and the, and then the, the, the plot is essentially a description of her life, the things that she did and the people that she hung out with for a one or two year span from New Year's Day in like 1937, maybe 1938, for uh, she crosses two more New Years, and then what? So it's just it's it's a handful of people she met. One particularly influential person that she sees a photograph of that triggers this. But there's all these people coming in and out of her life. She's the daughter of Russian immigrants, in living in you know, making her way in the cheaper parts of New York City, but then bumping into and weaving in with the richer parts of New York City. And so the interplay of a poor girl, very working class girl, uh, finagling her way into richer society 
in New York City is kind of interesting. I, I guess it's intriguing to me because I do not have a personality that would either enjoy, you know, the, the going out to a bar and, you know, you and your roommate find a mark and then you see how many drinks you can get them to buy you sort of thing. She describes that pretty early on. And that just is so foreign to me who... My friend Addie once told me, you have no idea how to flirt, do you? And I was like, that is true. I don't. And I don't have any desire to know how to flirt. That's just not a game that I'm even remotely interested in I would like you to learn to flirt with me. Tough. You did the other day. What did you do? You grabbed my butt or something like that. (laughs) that I was like, are you flirting with me? And you're like, uh. No. I'm not. You just ruined it. Uh, And... So that, so that, and then the, you know, the finagling and then the, per, the interpersonal relationships as she's kind of bouncing a little bit like a pinball between groups of people as there are fallings out or situational changes. But the thing that I keep, it's been what, almost a week now since I finished the book. And the thing that I keep mulling over is not a week. I think I finished it on Sunday night. So, and today is Thursday. So, a couple days. The thing I keep mulling over is she gets to the end of the book and I'm trying not to I'm trying to think how I can describe this in a way that's not a spoiler. Essentially, she says that that span, here she is 20 or 30 years later, and she says that the the people that she interacted with in that span of 2 years so deeply impacted her life that here she is with a family of her own, has not had interactions with any of those people in 25 years. And she says, I should be waking up every morning saying thank you to the people that she's described in that two year period. That's the bulk of the narrative of the book. And it just got me, I've, I've been mulling over the idea, I guess it intersects a little bit with your discussion about human responsibility and the sovereignty of God, but the intersection of of your past, and your past is, deeply shapes who you are and how you experience the world, but you also can't live in the past. You know, you can't wake up, you for example, JR, when we started dating and got married, and I asked you, how often do you think of your ex-wife? You know, and you were like, well, every day. And I was like, well, that's weird because I am your wife and I live with you and I have no idea that you have this this inner thought life where it affects how you process everything and you reflect on this life that you lived before that I had no knowledge of. But here we are 15 years out. And if I say to you now, how often do you think about your ex-wife? Hopefully you don't say every day. No, definitely not every day. (laughs) There's passing thoughts every now and then. Yeah, I mean, that's, that seems But but it's similar to, like, it's similar to, like, any other history in life. Oh, that reminds me of this, or that reminds me of that, or that reminds me of this. Yeah, so I I feel like there's a healthy way of looking at hard things or really meaningful things. Like, one example that I would have of that is I did a semester abroad in Oxford, and it was an incredible experience. Like going to school in Oxford, all of the travel and the historical stuff that you're able to be a part of and to visit and just being a part of an incredibly cool culture for 
three months instead of, you know, as a tourist who, like, goes to see the library where uh, Hogwarts, Harry Potter was filmed, and then that's your experience of Oxford. You know, maybe, Mm -hmm. was, was Lewis Oxford or Cambridge? The... I don't remember. Anyway, the... um, Tolkien and Lewis, I think they were Oxford. You know, so you go visit these these handful of places, and then you're like, okay, I've done Oxford. It's very different to live there for a handful of months. I cannot separate the fact that I was in Oxford from the fact that my boyfriend of three years from college was also there. Like, if I were to show my kids pictures of the semester that I was in Oxford, the chances are very good that he would be in those pictures. You know, but I don't really think of him. But that's like if I showed if I showed the kids pictures of my life in Colorado. There's chances are good that, you know, I think I still have some stuff floating around. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so so there's a there's a way to live with that past in a way that you're comfortable with it, but it doesn't. I mean, it does define you, but it doesn't define your present day thoughts. Does that make sense? Like it's made you who you are today. Right. There is some there is some defining process in it. But it doesn't, um, it, it doesn't play a significant role in your present day life. And you don't... Even though it kind of helps you get you to where you are and you're... Yeah, it's weird. Exactly. Exactly. But, <clears throat> so all that to say, I, I've been thinking, I, the end of the book, it was good. Like, I think people should read it and enjoy it. It was very unsatisfying because it felt unhealthy to me. Because mm. after, after her spending you know, however many pages of the book, describing the people that she had influ- had so influenced her life during that two-year span that the narrative of the book covers. Now, with a whole, with a whole family, uh, you know, all of this life under her belt, she looks back in that and says, I should be, I should be conscious of the fact Every day, conscious and thankful for the fact that all of this happened. And I'm, I don't think that's true. I don't think that we need to be consciously processing past relationships. That feels unhealthy to me. There is an element of, there's a strong element of counseling um, stuff in what we're talking about. You know, you deal with, even if like if it's a traumatic part of your history, if it's something that you're, um, <clears throat> you know, something that happened growing up with your parents or, you know, if you're like, well, I just haven't really processed my relationship with my mother or something like that, you know, or how I grew up. Um, but you know when it's, un- like, there is an unhealthiness to it. Like, you have to, you should mm-hmm. deal with it if it's affecting your day-to-day. Even if it's not affecting your day-to-day, if it's affecting you adversely, like, it should be dealt with. And Process also, it. I will throw in here... In terms of like physical health things, there's mm-hmm. a book called The Body Keeps Score, and this the, she's not the only person. I think it's a woman. The author is not the only person to make this claim, but she documents the ways that our our muscles, our fascia, which is a layer between our skin and our muscles, and like trauma, relational trauma, chronic stress, things like that actually affect you at the cellular level and affect your DNA. And so even if you're not conscious of childhood trauma or a really traumatic relationship oh, yeah. that you had, uh, you, your body might be communicating that trauma to you in uh, muscle soreness or other unhealthy. Well, we had that, we had that friend of ours who was, 
put him in the hospital, some stress from a relationship. Um, but yeah, no, it needs to be dealt with, but it can't, it shouldn't, once you've dealt with it, you should move on. <laughs> I think is the healthy thing to do. Right. We all know people who are like, oh, they've turned their, they've turned their, you know, I was, I don't know. They've turned their, I was abused by my uncle, you know, as their That's defining their... piece of identity. Yeah. They've created a ministry or written a book on it. They've created their social media profiles and all they do is talk about this element of their lives and how it's affected. Like, that doesn't seem healthy If at that's all their public persona, I feel like that's okay. Because oh. people will latch on to that. And if if you then, for example... Um, so here's... Like, if I go around, if I create a public persona about me being a divorced Baptist... Yes, I'll this, give you... I'll give you This a, came up in our... Yeah, I'll give you a real-life <laughs> example of it, though, that, that the kids have been delighted that I discovered recently... So they have this book. I'm going to pull it up because it's actually a really good book. It's I think it's called Courageous World Changers, and it's about women whose Christian faith has impacted how they live. And they they really love this book. And Faith is obsessed with uh, Bethany Hamilton, who is, yes, Courageous World Changers, 50 True Stories of Daring Women of God. And some of them are old and some of them are modern day. And my girls, you guys absolutely love this book. Uh, Faith is obsessed with the Bethany Hamilton story. Bethany Hamilton is the real life surfer behind the story, the movie Soul Surfer, who was uh, born into a family of surfers was surfing, I don't know, she was 12 years old maybe, and a tiger shark came out of nowhere and bit her left arm off, and she lost all this blood. Anyway, this long story. Uh, Faith is so obsessed with this, and I found Bethany Hamilton on Instagram the other day, and she is probably in her 30s or 40s now. She has three or four children. She's a really lovely Hawaiian woman. She's tan. If you guys know her story, she's like a a professional winning competitions surfer. It's very challenging for her because, you know, one of the things about surfing is you have to paddle your board in order to to catch a wave. And she only has one hand to do that with, but she's still at the elite level of female surfers in the world. And so I show the kids her Instagram and a lot of, she has a ministry for, I don't know what, what the correct politically correct term is, but I doubt there are too many people who are concerned about me. Disability. Yeah. There, I was not say, I doubt there's too many people listening to us right now who are concerned about me using the politically correct term, but she has a ministry somehow for people with disabilities, like encouraging them to, mm-hmm. uh, power through and it's a Christian ministry. So it's got Christ in it. And, um, she would probably say it a lot more eloquently than I would, but so her public persona is, uh, I am a one-armed surfer. I, you know, I was right. attacked by, I'm a shark attack survivor. I'm a one-armed surfer. I have a feeling that if she has a healthy marriage, there's a lot more to her <laughs> than being a one-armed surfer. Fair. It's kind of like Johnny Erickson Tata, right? Exactly. She's got, that doesn't define, and I think she, everybody knows this. It impacts she's, she's, every area of her life. But she is, she is very open about the fact that it doesn't define who she is. Yes. It is what she is but doesn't define who she is. Yeah. That makes sense. Yep. So so anyway, um, I think that that would be a real on-the-face good example of of any 
trauma that you've had, whether it's internal or external, right. it deeply impacts, uh, you know, I mean, it impacts everything that Bethany Hamilton does. Right. Like, like taking a kid, changing a kid's diaper is very different one armed than it is. But I mean, how many armed, of us, how many of us know people who are, you just get so irritated with them because their whole thing is like this one thing. Yeah. It's like, oh, shut up. Well, I, I, yeah, but, um, I will, we, I need to go make pizza, but, um, but here's, we actually have been having this discussion at Canavox because that's what the LGBTQ world does is they, I mean, they're not fixated on trauma, but they're fixated on sexual attraction, attraction or gender identity. And that defines who they are so completely that as someone who doesn't want to play that game, if I say, yes, I'm sure that you are a woman attracted to other women, or you're a woman who feels like you should have been born a man, but there are probably a lot of other really interesting things about your life and your family and your career and your friends and your interests and things that you do. And that has become offensive. To say there is more to you than your sexual identity is actually creates an offense in our culture. Do you know how weird it would be if every heterosexual person walked around doing nothing but talking about their whole identity being heterosexual? Mm-hmm. To be super weird. I do. Be, be super weird. Because Katie Fast likes to like throw that out there. Oh, but that's man. that's the thing. So we. I'm gonna start throwing that out there. It, and people, gays it, throw it back in my face. In like, our yeah. in our like discussions, women. especially with middle school and high school kids. We're trying to lay a foundation with those kids in saying there is so much more that makes you who you are and some of it you can't control. So if you have trauma in your past, you can't control that, but that's just a little slice in the whole in the whole of what makes you who you are. You're the country you were born in, the family you were born into, your religion, these are all, you know, the, the interests you What do you, you do have, on the weekends? Would you, yeah, all of these things are actually um, a big part of your identity. And we want to train our young kids before, you know, especially the ones who, I will say this fairly unabashedly, who've been more sheltered. You know, you took Titus to a concert the other night, and you were like, whoa, whoa. He got full (laughs) frontal assault with the uh, LGBT queer crowd. Yeah. It was pretty funny. Um, He's like, I was like, Tito, you like this? He's like, "Eh, that's too weird. (laughs) (laughs) Titus, Titus, despite his long hair, is pretty straight-laced. I mean, mean, there were were men with boobs and beards going on, you know, type of thing. Yeah, and so, I mean, so one of the things that we are pushing with with our JV program, what we call it, is let's get out ahead of that. So he has a mental framework when he sees that to think, first of all, this person has more to him or her than what I'm seeing. You know, so we ourselves are not judging and making assumptions based on appearance or based on what they say about their sexual identity. We ourselves want to be seeking to know and to love a whole person. And then also as we as we're assaulted with this ideology to be able to help our kids filter out, okay, this person is taking this one little slice of the pie of what their identity is and it's not even a foundational part but they're making it the whole pie yeah. and um and so we you know and even if this is something that you can't control like for example 
a lot of people who experience gender dysphoria say that it's out of their control or people who've exper- who experience same-sex attraction. It's not something they choose necessarily a lot of the time. Some of the more radical um, people who are anti-God will say, no, I choose. Like, I want to be in charge mm-hmm. of my destiny. Camille Paglia is one who is a lesbian philosopher, writer. My nephew, my cousin and, is one. Well, I, does he say, like, I chose this or that this is deep down who I am and I'm... Like, Camille Paglia is a lesbian wow. and she's like, no, 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 don't tell me I was born this way. I want to define how I use my body. I don't care if you tell me that a male and female body... I wonder I wonder if there's people out there who's, who say this is who I am but in reality they're they want to reject they want the control yeah I, I mean it's so either either way what a if silly you, thing well yeah, anyway. I mean we all I mean this goes back to the sovereignty of God right like we want to be in control yeah but it goes it goes but the reason I say it's silly is it's such a small thing in the context of the world who you are your life all of your other things as a person there's so much more there and it's like this one little yeah, teeny, tiny, I, like, I don't, I have not studied the mindset enough to know, I mean, our culture is saying this is the total of who you are, right? Yeah. Your your gender identity or your sexual attractions are the total of what's most important about you. But I think there's a, there's a brokenness inside and your sexuality and your gender identity are such a deep deep part of how you experience humanity and also a very vulnerable part of how you experience being an embodied soul and um you know or a mind soul unity i guess i would would mm-hmm. be a better phraseology for that you know and so there's this deep vulnerability that is easily manipulated by um by trauma as well as by uh, the Genesis three desire to be like God and to be in control, and there's a super complicated interplay of all of those things that we might not understand ever understand this side of glory. But I think the key for us is to just keep pushing that balance of your past doesn't define you; it impacts you. It doesn't define you, and there's this whole there's this whole sphere of things that some of which you choose and some of which you don't help shape you. And then as a believer, we also have this additional lens of God's redeeming grace, redeeming past hurts, as well as giving us hope for a future and for change. Speaking of super complex things, this whole show has been full of super complex things. So let's end it here. Yeah, because well, I have to go make pizza, which is really about. simple. <clears throat> yeah, I'm going to drink a PBR. That's also simple. And delicious. Um, yes, you guys can question my better judgment in life. The pickleball part so has not been complicated. We, <laughs> true. So we have, uh, we mentioned several things in the show, uh, a couple of books and things. We'll include those in the show notes. So look down there. Thanks so much for joining us and being here and listening to us yammer. If you have anything you want to say or contribute to the conversation, the best thing you can do is to jump on Telegram. We have a, a large host of people on Telegram, about 70-some active members, 70, 80, somewhere in there, um, that will you know, we'll talk about things on the show, give their opinions, their thoughts, contribute to the community. It's a great place um, for all that to happen. Plus, there's a lot of other things that go on in the show, like 
or on the Telegram group, like photos of people share, things happening in their lives. We had a big giant discussion about shoes recently. I'm about to um, post a video there of Titus who wanted to cut a giant zucchini in half to feed to the oh, chickens, yes. and he purchased a machete a, what, a week ago. Yeah. It was a week ago. Um, and I was like, why don't you go throw it in the air and try to cut it in half with your machete? Well, he and liked that idea. He, I think he was a little bit baffled that his mom was suggesting that. And then he ran and got his machete. I'm going to post, when maybe JR and I can compare notes on I'll, which is the best I'll send you, of the videos. I'll send you the videos because I took some slow-mo videos too, so I can send you those. But this is what happens when you have a crazy abundance of zucchini. You have your son yeah. go at it with a machete. <laughs> fruit ninja. Zucchini is technically a fruit. Carry on promoting the Telegram So anyway, channel. go to our Telegram group. The link is in the show notes. It's a private group. Use that link to access if you want to send us a message another way, like an email, jump on our website, www.toobusytoflush, all grammatically correct.com, toobusytoflush.com or tb, the number 2f, tb2f.com. Scroll all the way down and we have uh, a send us a postcard option. So you can send us a note there as well. We do try to respond to everything that has um, postcarded to us. Uh, we don't always, Molly's way more active on Telegram, I think, sometimes than I am, um, but I read everything. I just am in the middle of doing other things and stuff like that. So, anyway, um, send us a note, send us a message. If you're on our website, jump on and buy a uh, buy a too busy to flush shirt or a sticker or a hat or something. Um, or people are weird and hard sticker or hat or shirt or something. We've got those on the website as well. That said, we will be back after Labor Day. We've got uh, I'm going off for work for a week and a half. Then we're going camping as a family. And then we're gonna be we're gonna be back in the swing of, in, in fall, so um, yeah, we'll be back after that. So this is the last show until after after later. That's all. I have. See you later.